Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions on groomsmen expenses, especially when it comes to that bachelor party, reclining seatbacks, bringing wine when you're already bringing wine, and electronic RSVP fails. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on napkins from Margaret Visser's The Rituals of Dinner. Coming up... Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont, by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we are back. Happy New Year, cuz. Welcome back. Yeah. Yay. I haven't seen your face. I know. You stopped by my house, but your wife came inside. You didn't. That is exactly how it happened. I was watching a baby in the car. Yeah. How was your New Year's? How was your break and everything? Delightfully uneventful. Yeah? That's great. We called it the quarantine Christmas. Remember when Dan a couple shows back was talking about what his holiday was going to be like? That's not what happened. It's what not, happened, Dan? What happened. Anisha got pink eye and <laughs> not uncomfortable for her but highly contagious. Yes. And we just stayed away from the huge family gatherings with lots Good of idea. other kids. We had gone a little too quickly to visit friends and family who still had it, who thought they weren't contagious. We got it. And we didn't want to be that person who was then bringing it around to everyone yeah, else. Cool, yeah. So it was very cold and we ended up just posting up at home and Ha-ha, had a up at home. Sorry. amazing time. Just the three of us and Raju. So nice. three and a half of us. Three and three and a, no, he's a full member of the family. Kind of felt like it by the end of a week and a half. <laughs> well, I'm glad that it went so well because every time I checked in with you, you were like, I'm kind of glad it happened this way. It's quiet. It's nice. It's a good way to end the year. It's been a busy year. <laughs> I felt like I watched the icicles grow coming yeah. down the side of the house. <laughs> That's a very good but, Vermont thing. Enough about my very boring and restful time. How was your holiday? Totally uneventful. All my New Year's plans fell through. And I uh, managed to lose my wallet, which I don't think has been found by anyone because nothing has like no charges or anything have appeared, but is probably in a snowbank at home somewhere. And I just haven't Uh, found it. And so before I start my research trip, which starts on Sunday, I will be trying to get all my cards reissued and a new driver's license so that I can fly and just it's going to be a mess of stuff. So that that was my holiday. Double like ugh. I know I was going to go to the vineyard, I was maybe going to go to my friend's wedding, like it just but everything kind of fell through. And so I ended up actually having a very uh former Dan Post sending life uh holiday. I went off to one of my favorite places around here alone at midnight ah. and and spent it there really gathering energy 
energy and trying to put as much as I could into the turning of the year. We had that incredible moon. It was unbelievable. I mean, I was literally standing in like negative degree weather in the middle of a field, like with big open sky over. It was a very beautiful way to ring in the, the new year. Different, different to not have a countdown. That was interesting. Not having a countdown was interesting. I think that was a first for me. To me, that sounds delightful. I loved it. I really did. It was good. I mean, like I love family and friends and being with people, but it was different. And it was kind of, I felt like a harnessing way to deal with uh, plans going astray. I knew the wallet had gone missing, and I just oh, assumed it would turn up. They I often do, it and hasn't. this is now days later. It's days and days. I mean, we're like a week now without this wallet, and so fingers crossed. But, oh, well. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Thanks. Let's get to the show and get to some questions. It's a new year. We have new questions. I am excited. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled, what's a groom to do? So I am throwing this question to the groom of the two of us. Would that be me? That would be you, just in case anyone was wondering. All All right, right, let's go. (laughs) Hello, Dan and Lizzie. I love listening to the show on my way to work. My fiance's best man is planning a bachelor party that will be outside of the country and could potentially be pretty expensive. My fiance is nervous that one of his groomsmen will not be able to afford this trip. How should my fiancé handle this? The groomsman in question does not have a job. My fiancé had tried to help him get a job at his company recently, but the groomsman never followed through with applying. Thanks so much for taking the time to read my question. 
Sincerely, Bride. A wedding question for me. I'm now appreciating the, the, the throwing it this way. I'm looking at traditional etiquette concept here that's also the fodder for a lot of romantic comedies, <laughs> which is the, the role of bridesmaid or groomsman and, frankly, what a burden it can be and how it can feel like a lot is on you. And I think that burden comes from the fact that you're responsible for paying for travel when you're playing one of these roles. And that can be difficult. Especially for a bachelor party. Actually, for a bachelor party, you would be responsible for your own accommodations. For the wedding, traditionally, the family hosting pays for the accommodations of the bridal party. But this is a bachelor party. You really are on the hook. I am so sorry for that little correction, cuz. No worries. And there's also sometimes attire, although sometimes that tux is paid for when it's, again, part of the wedding. But there's usually an outfit for the bachelor party at the same time. There, there are expenses that come with hosting those parties, and those fall on the groomsmen. They do. The best man. Or whomever's hosting the party. Yeah. So I guess that's a, a roundabout way of saying your fiancé is not responsible for paying. There is a role that he can play. There are things that he can do that could make it easier. He can always express his desire that the type of event that happens is something that more people can afford. Mm-hmm. He can say, you know, it would be best if we could have it here so more people could participate. And that's an okay thing to do. That's not overstepping your bounds as a a groom. It's also okay to live with the reality of the fact that not everyone's going to be able to play that role. And that's the place where I think I want to really center our advice that you can host the party, you can invite people, and if people can't attend, it's really up to them to manage their budget and finances and to let people know that and to take responsibility for that. I, I like the way this question ends. I think it's really – it's a very good friend that your fiancé is being by trying to help his friend find a job. But that goes so far above and beyond in terms of taking care with people and I don't right. think really plays into your decision-making. No, no, no. It's not, it's not the groom's responsibility. But the groom also could consider – If it was so important for both things to happen, for the bachelor party to be out of the country in an expensive way. And let's remember that some places in this country are very close to borders. And so getting out of the country, we don't exactly know where getting out of the country means. A drive to Montreal from Burlington, Vermont? Not that hard. (laughs) But the groom could, if he has the funds and really wants everything to happen, make sure to take care of this particular groomsman or offer to help out with anyone who's, you know, not able to pay for travel and accommodations. But that's a really generous and very big option. It's not the only etiquette option. It should not be something the groom feels obligated to do at all. I think you're absolutely right, because I think you can speak to the, the guy who's hosting it and say, hey, listen, would love to keep the budget to a place where everyone could afford to attend. Let's keep the party here. Or you could instead say, okay, we're going to go for this and we're going to just say whoever can make it can make it. And if not, we'll Skype you in and say, hey, at some point during the night. Maybe go out and have a drink when you get back. Exactly. Sure, you're right. But there's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Our next question is the recurring, reclining question. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love the podcast. I have an etiquette question that I've been wondering about for a while. As a frequent traveler, I often run into what I feel is rude behavior from other travelers. I want to make sure I do not add to this rudeness. I am wondering, is it rude to recline your seat back on flights where leg room is especially tight? I was on a flight last night where I reclined my seat just a little bit to take a nap. My upper back tends to hurt if I don't do this. However, the person behind me kept bumping the back of my seat and even put their foot up on the side of my armrest between the window and the seat. I get really annoyed when people bump the back of my seat. But I started thinking that maybe I am in the wrong because the seats are so tight they already don't have much room to move about. And I made that worse for them. What is the proper etiquette when reclining your seat on a plane? Also, if someone does continually hit the back of my seat, is there a polite way to rectify this or should I just ignore it? Thanks for your help, Christina. Christina, I love the spirit of not wanting to add to the rudeness. And I will say that regular coach airline travel nowadays makes this nearly impossible. I mean, you are identifying everything about why this is so frustrating. You have a small amount of space yourself. Often, most of us have some type of body ache that is going to make it difficult to sit in the same position for hours upon hours, depending on how long that flight is. You then add to it by, if you do take the one reprieve that you're given... It interferes with someone else's teeny tiny compacted space. You should see my cousin Dan right now, face scrunched up, hands over his face going, oh my gosh, I feel so small. <laughs> this is a question that Lizzie and I have debated because it is such gray area. In fact, it's the grayest of gray area. It's so gray. It shouldn't be a problem for you no. to recline a seat that you've purchased, purchased and-, and paid for that reclines, that has a little button, that... <laughs> invites you to create just a little more room for yourself. And at the same time, there is that reality of in these increasingly tight and small spaces, the fact that that becomes an imposition on the person behind you, particularly at mealtimes, if they're working on a laptop. Oh, my gosh. If anyone falls outside that very small space that you're prescribed, that you're renting for that brief period of time, and I, I feel my shoulders tightening because it's it's width, it's length, it's height, it's every, every direction that space has gotten smaller and smaller. We, my cousin Lizzie and I, despite sort of wrestling with this question, have come up with a couple of guidelines, things that we think about that I think are helpful when you're deciding how to navigate this grayest of gray area. And one of the things to just simply remember is that technically the seats that you purchase can do this. And sometimes it just helps me to remember the reality of it that like, hey – I bought in and technically this is potentially a part of the gig. I'm not saying that's polite. I'm just saying reality check. It's the reality of airplane seats. It's not going to change until they either stop the reclining or give us back some leg room. Okay. Reality check over. I think that it's uh, considerate not to put your seat back if you can help it. If I had a a sore back that day, my back is not chronically sore every single day, but every now and again, my lower back is really a spot that I can feel and I, I want to be able to move around to get comfortable for it. And sometimes rather than go first to the seat recline, I'll think about things like, can I put my tray table down and lean forward in order to get a bit of that relief, even for five or so minutes? How does that help me out? Can I adjust my hips down so that I'm getting a little of that angle and put like a sweater or something behind my back for support so that I can try to find that support within the confines of this seat right there? That would be my first go-to option. 
I like to roll up a jacket or a sweater or a sweatshirt. Sometimes I'll even bring a little something extra to like make a, a little low yeah. back pillow for myself, particularly for mealtimes or, or if I know the person behind me is working or is dealing with the space, <laughs> a particularly small space or if they're a particularly large person. Long or legs. Th- th- <laughs> yeah. There's oftentimes things that add to that level of consideration. I think those are some of those things that trigger something in my mind. I also think there's something to longer flights yep. where it becomes more acceptable that if you're oh, on yeah. a red eye or if you're on a flight where people are napping or it's late at night or you're more than four or five, six hours, hopefully those flights have a little more room in them. But whether Not they always, do or they don't, yeah. sometimes there's a certain consensus that starts to build if everybody's putting their seats back <laughs> or the majority of people are putting their seats back. That that room accordions back through the plane and I think makes it less of a burden on, on the person behind you. But I think pay attention to mealtimes. Pay attention to if someone's trying to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are nice things to think about and to plan ahead for other ways to accommodate yourself. If you know that you have back problems and it's possible, maybe you invest in that extra legroom seat. You mm-hmm. pay that little bit extra. I find those extra fees so frustrating. Uh, I don't like to pay nope. them. But if you really are aware that it makes a big difference for you, maybe it's worth it and maybe it's going to be worth it to well, the people around you. And that's always been my thought about the paying for it is I always felt like, oh, gosh, it's so mean to charge them extra for comfort. And it was really interesting because a guy I knew who was six foot seven said to me, are you kidding me? I am thrilled. People don't want to pay the price and I can afford to. And that was his he was in a position of being able to. And he said, so it makes me so happy to be able to get it and go for it and know that I'm getting the extra legroom and comfort that I need. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. Like it's a just a positive way to look at it. It's not an option for everybody. So one of the ways that you can deal with if you need to recline your seat, let's say that this becomes an issue of need. I vote for turning around and letting the other person know that it won't be for long. That, I think, is one of the ways to just acknowledge that it's happening and say, I'm so sorry, I'm going to tilt it back just a little bit, give my back relief. I'm going to set a timer on my phone so that in half an hour I'm going to put it up and it won't be in your face the whole time. I just think that that's reasonable given the constructs and confines of what you're dealing with and the situation you're dealing with. I know that if someone turned around and did that to me, I could say, okay. You know, like I can handle that for half an hour. Thank you. Make sure. Go for it. Less likely to put the tray up and down with ferocity. (laughs) Okay, that's such a great transition because the other thing that Christina asked about was the bumping of the back. I fully admit I am with Christina. I hate this. It drives me nuts. And I'm using that word. I'm using that four letter starts with an H word. And I I can't stand it when people grab the back of your seat as they're moving through. And I know it's difficult. It's tough to try not to. It's tough to maneuver. We had that question and a lot of feedback on it. But it is really frustrating when you're getting these jabs all the time on the back of your head. It's it's not like it's a leg or a foot. It's the back of your head. It's not comfortable. And I say anything that a person can do to not grab, touch, or disturb the seat back in front of them is really important and it's good travel etiquette. And feet are gross. Oh, gosh. If people could keep their feet off the armrest, that would be much appreciated. And I, I just want to say that I also sympathize. And this is rude behavior, the the sort of exacting revenge by banging on oh. the seat back or yeah. putting your foot up. And as far as whether you turn around and say something or not, I think that probably the answer is no. I think you probably don't want to get into a situation on a plane where you're in a dispute with someone or accusing them of something. At the same time, if you really think it's unintentional and 
it's something that maybe someone's just not aware of, then maybe you let them know. It's 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 tricky. I think sometimes when there's a child involved, that comes into play. If there's a kid who's hitting your your seat repeatedly and the parent doesn't know, or they're a couple seats over and they're just not aware of it, I think that's one of the situations where you might turn know. around and say something. I'd give a little more license on this. I think if someone's really banging your head, whether it's in- intentional or not, I would turn around and say, "I'm sorry. I'm not sure if you realize it, but that's actually it's hitting my." head or it's you know it's it's the um i'm not sure if you realize how frequently you're hitting the back of the seat or something like that i think sometimes when it comes to these kinds of super tight and confined situations you almost get a little bit more license to remind people of when they are encroaching on your space and comfort but it is in the how you do it and even my sample script here was a very quick one. I think we could come up with some more gentle language or just uh, have a more positive and light, bright attitude when you say it. That can really help. Not the fake one. Not the one that actually comes down with sarcasm in it and like, are you getting my message, polite? No, no, no. Genuinely, I'm really not sure if you're, you're aware of it, but, you know, you're hitting the seat back frequently. Like you say, though, if if it's delivered in the right spirit, maybe it's enough. Maybe it's a gentle enough reminder before I turned around and said that, I would remind myself of the same thing that you reminded us at the start of this answer about the the button pushing being part of the reality of the situation. I think in those tight spaces, the reality of the situation is people might bump your seat. They might hold the back of your seat as they come and go or get up or sit down. And the more we can all put a smile on our face, some patience and some understanding in our hearts and our minds and take a deep breath and give each other a little latitude, I think the better off we're all going to be in these tight spaces. We return to this question because this question comes up and there's a lot to say about it. And there isn't necessarily a right or wrong answer to this particular question. It's a lot about the how and your willingness to think about the how and to do a little self-examination as well as a consideration about the behaviors that you'd like to see in others, I think says that we're all going to be in a little better shape. Christina, thanks for the question. Before we take off, please be sure your seat backs are in the upright and locked position, your tray table is put away, and all carry-on items are securely stowed. As we come through the cabin for our final safety checks, please let us know if you have any questions. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is titled Wine Conundrum. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My friend does a monthly wine club with her friends where a hostess picks a theme and everyone brings a bottle and or an appetizer to share. She invited me to attend tomorrow since it's at her house. Do I need to bring two bottles of wine, one for her and one to share? What's the appropriate thanks for hosting me gift? Wine conundrum. I don't think there's too much of a conundrum here. (laughs) In some ways, you've already got the direction about the thing to bring that's going to be most appreciated, and that's the appetizer and the bottle of wine to share. And if you bring that, if you show up with that in hand, I think you've pretty much met your obligations for this party. If you are so inspired, it's your (laughs) first visit, you're joining this new club or event, and you really want to say thank you, I appreciate your inviting me, it's okay to bring a little hostess gift or a little something else extra. A second bottle of wine is fine. I would 
say something like, well, you know, this, this, this is for share and this is a little something just for you. It doesn't have to be a bottle of wine. It could be something else also. It could be flowers. It could be some candy. It could be something that you love to bring. These days I like mulling spices. I love that idea. Hostess gifts don't need to be a bottle of wine. It's nice to have your own sort of flavor or style. But for someone that you know loves wine, as my mother would say, a wine canoiser, you <laughs> might choose a bottle of wine for that person. But it's certainly not expected. This feels more to me like a potluck event, even yep. though it's wine and appetizer. And that's got a little more informal feel. You already have some instruction about what to bring. So you're in pretty good shape. I have nothing to add. That's a fabulous answer. Wine conundrum, we hope you have a lovely time at the party. Social courtesy does pay, doesn't it? Thanks. Our next question is about how the RSVP will save you. Greetings. I have been listening to your podcast for about a year now and love hearing new topics every week. I had an experience recently that I hope you can all help me mitigate for next time. I recently invited some friends via social media for a birthday dinner that was being held at a restaurant. I originally placed the reservation for 10 people, as that many had responded by the given deadline. When I showed up to the restaurant, more than 10 people were there to celebrate with me. I talked to the management, and they said that since I had exceeded the original number of people, the menu would need to be switched to a more expensive prefix menu. They also needed additional time to reorganize the dining area to accommodate our enlarged group. This would have been fine if I had known that more than 10 people were going to show up, as I was the host, but I only budgeted for the 10 people. In the end, we all had a great time and enjoyed each other's company, but I left paying a larger bill than I expected. I want to be able to host another birthday dinner next year. However, I don't know if I should, knowing these things might happen. How should I handle dinner reservations if I am the host and only budget for a certain number of people? I don't want to have to turn people away at the restaurant. But I don't think it was very courteous of them to not notify me prior to the engagement. Thanks in advance and keep up the great work. Sincerely, Budget Conscious Host. So this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. We talk about RSVP etiquette a lot. And I am starting to think that we are going to end up changing our advice on RSVP etiquette to be from a only call if you haven't heard from from someone to a you really should as a host follow up and make sure your guests intend to come to your party. I know where you're going with this. This is really frustrating. But uh, collectively, uh, Americans, at least I have noticed, especially among uh, my circles of friends, that you end up with folks changing their mind last minute, deciding they just don't feel up to the party, deciding to come, saying maybe for forever and deciding last minute. And I really think that the only way to handle this isn't to just simply expect more from your guests, but instead to realize your guests just aren't trained to RSVP very well. So as a host, we're going to need to put some effort into retraining ourselves as guests. I would say that electronic invitations are really awesome, and they are easy, convenient, fun in a lot of ways, especially with people's ability to comment on things. But I think that it's it's really important to actively follow up on them, especially. I know I forget about the ones that I have just sitting on my Facebook page. I forget about text messages, even if they're a big group message that a lot of people have responded to. 
I would think that for large open house parties, this type of invite is great. No need to really follow up as long as you're pretty sure that enough people are going to come that, you know, you can still have the party. And those are things that have, you know, start and end times. And it's come one, come all, bring friends if you want, real casual type things. Those don't need the RSVP follow up. But for a birthday dinner at a restaurant where there is going to be a change in the MO for the night if the number of people is different. And our host may not have known about that if the restaurant did not inform our host of that particular uh, rule. (laughs) You know, more than 10 people means we now have to have a more expensive prefix menu. But I do think that uh, because of all the circumstances at play here, it's really important for you as a host, even using social media as your invitation method, to follow up. Have your date that you're going to call people by and just check in with them. Hey, calling to make sure you're still coming or that the, you know, the night of the birthday still works for you. Really would love to have you there. Hey, calling to check up on your availability. Are you able to come Friday night? Let me know by Wednesday, please. Then I would follow up again on Wednesday. I would call on like a Monday. I would follow follow up on a Wednesday or, you know, have that kind of two day second follow up happen. It reminds people of the party. It gives them a chance to check with friends, spouses, roommates, whoever it is that they need to check at work, whoever it is that they need to check in with. And then they have only a couple days to forget about needing to RSVP to this. And you remind them again on the Wednesday calling for the final headcount. And that's when you can make it really clear and say, oh, well, I'm so sorry, maybe next year or, oh, well, we'll have to get together in the next few weeks or something like that. That way you're still positive even if they can't come or if you have to cut them off from being able to because you have to make this reservation and you need it to be the way the restaurant needs it to be. (laughs) I know that sounds really strange, but it's like you need this to work and you are the one as the host who can make this all work for yourself. I like the way you're narrowing this down to that nexus of an electronic invitation and an event that has a certain number of plates at a table or a price per head that is significant and matters, even if it fluctuates by one or two either direction. And I like the the permission to be a little more active in terms of engaging that guest list to figure out what's going on. And I do think that nexus of price per head cost and electronic (laughs) invitation is a place to really be extra aware of that because we know the nature of the invitation starts to set the tone for the event. And for a lot of people, that digital invite, that social media invite doesn't send the same signal about formality or expectation. It doesn't start to build the same expectation that – mailed invite, a printed invite, or even a phone call or an in-person invite does, and it doesn't provide the same opportunity for really clarifying what the expected reply is. So you have a little more latitude in terms of how you, and I use this term loosely, pursue your guests. Yes. And I think it's even, as you point out, a, a responsible host's job in some ways, because then you take the onus off your guest for showing up and creating a burden or a difficult situation. I just want to applaud your flexibility oh in the moment on the night. This is an awkward situation. It's the the nightmare scenario. More people show up than you're prepared for. And mm-hmm. it sounds like you made the best of that that difficult situation. And you're thinking ahead to the future how to handle it. That's, that's etiquette gold star territory. Absolutely. It's how we handle the difficult moments that really say the most about us. No, it's very, very true. And planning for next year, you'll know what to do going ahead. You can even double check with the restaurant to make sure you know what the sort of rules of engagement are there. Budget-conscious host, we think that you'll have a good plan of attack for next year's party. 
This is one party that just has to turn out right. Well, the purpose of a party is to have fun together. And a successful party needs planning and skill. They all take planning. And they should all be fun. Thank you for your questions. You can send updates or comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Our first piece of feedback comes from Marsha. Oh, my dears. Belatedly, I am listening to your episode number 168. Normally, you are right on, in my opinion, with your advice. This time, I am appalled. Your advice to the woman who received a gift from her bank with the wrong name on it is just incorrect. If the man's name had been misspelled, would your answer have been the same? I dare say not. Let's make up a couple of names. Assume the couple is named Harry Smith and Ellen Hedgehog Smith. Check out the following options. Ellen and Harry Hedgehog Smith. His name is only Smith. Larry Smith and Ellen Hedgehog Smith. His name is Harry, not Larry. What would you have suggested in either of the foregoing situations? The bank has no excuse, except old-fashioned sexism, to fail to use her full name. So, a thank you note for an incorrect gift, whatever it is, is not appropriate unless there is a request that it be redone or, at a minimum, that they are advised that it is not something they can use. A bank is not a personal friend. The bank will profit for many years from the loan on this house. Women have had to struggle to be acknowledged as individuals for far too long. Perhaps in Emily Post Day, your answer would have been within the realm of appropriateness, but certainly not in 2017. Please think about your response and consider changing it. Thank you. Marcia, I am really happy to get the chance to reply to your feedback, and I am even happier to let you know that uh, Dan and I would both have happily given the same advice to a gentleman had he been writing in about an incorrect name on this gift of appreciation from a bank. And it really isn't that it was our female listener's name being misused that was the problem here. The problem was a name was incorrect. And the issue then becomes, do you care about the gift enough to get it corrected? And if the answer is yes, then, as we had suggested in the question, then you go in and let them know, thank you so much for this gift. However, I'm terribly sorry. The name on it is incorrect. Could I get this fixed? You know, could I take it somewhere and get it fixed? Could you fix it? Either way, it's okay to go in and ask that question and correct the gift. Our listener had even expressed that she, as a gift giver, would really appreciate it if someone let her know that she had gotten a monogram or a naming incorrect. So I thought that was a really good spirit of generosity and and reflective spirit with which to go in if the gift is what's really important to you and being able to use it. Now, the gift may not be important to you. It might be just one of those kind of giveaway gifts that banks do sometimes or that, you know, sometimes folks in business do. And it's not something you would even use that much. But the principle of the matter might be enough, as our listener had expressed. 
she had said, you know, here we fill out all these forms, getting this loan and doing this mortgage with the bank. And then on the gift, they go and get it wrong. Now, we want to leave room for generosity and say, maybe the person who was doing everything wasn't the same person who got this gift monogrammed or inscribed for this couple. Um, And that's a place of generosity you can go to and say, "Okay, I'm not going to worry about it. If it really is disappointing to you on a level that you'd like to speak up about, you absolutely could go in. Whether your name is Larry and they spelled it Harry or whether your name is, you know, Ms. Lizzie Post and they they did it as Ms. Lizzie Senning. I mean, it really is up to you whether or not you choose to speak up to the bank about this, whether or not you choose to get the gift fixed or whether you choose to simply let it go, not worry about it and say, you know, they messed up on this one. I'm going to write the thank you note and just not worry about the issue. The point here is that you have options. And whether you are a gentleman with this conundrum or whether you are a, a lady with this conundrum or whether you identify differently with this conundrum, then I would say it is important for you to choose the moments in which you stand up for it and feel confident about it when you do. Marsha, I want to thank you for giving us the chance to address this particular part of this question. We also heard from Having My Cake and Eating It Too. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I spent the better part of the year listening to all the archives, and I have just about finally caught up. I am writing about episode 149, Half Caked. I am so with the listener who wrote in, I too love to bake, and am the only one in my household with a sweet tooth. Dangerous. I just wanted to add that my local farmer's market always has half cakes available for sale alongside the full cakes and single slices. They sell the half cakes in semicircle plastic cake containers just like the whole ones. Though the cakes are full layer cakes, caramel, chocolate, coconut, etc., cut in half, the presentation is neat and the packaging makes it intentional and not like leftovers. They are perfect to have or to gift. Just wanted to suggest the listener could try a food service supply store. Best. Having my cake or half cake and eating it too. <laughs> I love that. And I love anytime our listeners have suggestions for other listeners for how to make gifting successful. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802 858 KIND. That's 802 858 5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript comes from our favorite, uh, The Rituals of Dinner by Margaret Visser. And this is a small section on the napkin, and it comes from page 167. When we rise at the end of the meal, we leave our napkins loosely rumpled on the table, never on the chair, presumably because it might look as though somebody has gone off with the hidden napkin. But chairs at dinner are, we recall, vibrant with taboo. And a European superstition has it that a guest who leaves his or her napkin on the chair will never come again to dinner at that table. In modern Portugal, it is correct to fold the napkin before leaving the table. But in most countries, the unfolded napkin shows that you know your host will wash it, not give it again to someone else, and that you do not think you are to stay on for a second meal. Napkin rings may be provided for family members. It used to be a great honor as a guest to be asked to fold your napkin or to be given a napkin ring. Into this, you slid your rolled and almost immaculate napkin, your modern manners having all but forbidden you to get it dirty. And it was saved for you, as family napkins are saved for another meal 
in that hospitable house. What I love about this is that it's um, reminded me of something that I had forgot as a legitimate reason for why we don't put napkins on chairs or why we don't uh, refold our napkins after the meal. And it's the idea that your napkin is to be washed. You're not staying on for another meal. You know that your host will take care of washing it. It's like it's part of that host guest dance. It's part of that trust that, you know, you know how you are being taken care of and what is expected of you based on what you are presented with. And the napkin ring was a way for families. And I grew up in a family that had napkin rings and we had cloth napkins and my mom did not wash them every single meal, only when they were really dirty. I know that sounds kind of gross, but it wasn't. <laughs> it's, it's such a delicious detail. And it's one of the reasons I love this book, The Rituals of Dinner, because it really starts to explore the meaning behind a lot of these manners that we take for granted. And sometimes our manners come from very practical places, but sometimes there's also a story. And the the way that we share food tells stories. And it really is – it's fun to get into those details and suss them out a little bit. What do we say next week when I'm away? You dive deep into your beloved topic of napkins in the postscript. Um, I would be delighted. Yay! All right, sweet. Postscript segment set for next week. Dan and napkins. Done and done. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have once again two salutes. Our first begins. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I hope you both are having an excellent week. I thought I would send along an unusually large etiquette salute this week. I would like to salute the entire state of Texas. As a native Texan, I've always had a strong sense of pride in my state, but I did not quite foresee the amount of love, compassion, kindness, and generosity shown the past few weeks. So much generosity, in fact, that volunteers are being turned away in some areas because we just can't handle the sheer amount of them. From barbecue joints leaving the safety of their hometowns to serve emergency crews and volunteers on the devastated coast, to the neighbor with an undamaged house who brought an actual wagon load of warm lasagnas to my aunt and uncle who had three feet of floodwaters in their home. It seems as if every single Texan, and many from out of state who felt called to help, has done their part and then some. There isn't a thank you note big enough to express the sincere gratitude we all feel here in the Lone Star State. Thank you both for the excellent content. I love listening to you as I cook, and it always feels like a conversation among friends. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. I'm so glad it feels that way. And I am so glad that you are clearly among friends in Texas. It has been wonderful to see how many folks have written in about all of the support uh, from folks local and, as you said, from out of state for recovering Harvey victims. Our next salute begins, Dear Lizzie and Dan, earlier this month, the last week of my New York sublet was pulled out from under me. I was expecting to stay a full month in the apartment, but after I was already in the apartment, was told I had to be out a week earlier than agreed upon, with little time to make new arrangements. As it was the U.S. Open, Fashion Week, and the start of the school year, I could not find a single hotel or Airbnb available, or at least that I could afford. Desperate, I reached out on a Facebook group for New York City young women, where I am a member. Within moments of posting, two individuals, both of whom were strangers to me, offered to host me to finish out my time in New York. I am grateful to them, not only their willingness to host a stranger, but how they welcomed me with open arms upon arrival. Their compassion, generosity, and support to a woman that was once a stranger will be remembered, and hopefully I may someday pay it forward." 
I have long enjoyed the podcast. Many good wishes to both of you, to your families, and the Emily Post Institute. Thank you for the etiquette guidance and inspiring us to ask beautiful questions about how we engage with the world around us. Sincerely, Kate. Thank you, Kate, for your etiquette salute. It's nice to hear about the good etiquette that we all see and experience out in the world from the Lone Star State to the Big Apple. And this is a real reminder for me about what incredible communities we all get to be a part of. Thank you for listening, and thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, or salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. You can help us out. You can become a sustaining member and support the Awesome Etiquette podcast by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. Or you can subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thanks, Chris. How long now before you'll be going out to make your own way in the world? Not very long, I guess. And whatever you do, wherever you go, you'll want to put your best foot forward.